Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Marion Murray, who called the cops regarding a domestic disturbance at the family home. Indiana, Indiana, Indianola police officer Greg Capers shot the boy, and the mother's the boy's mother had to ask him to call the police again after the father of another of her child uh, children were out at the home angry and upset. Now, on Monday evening, Indianola Board of Aldermen voted to place capers on paid administrative leave while investigating the shooting. The family wants the officer fired and charged. Adirian suffered a collapsed lung, fractured ribs, and lacerated liver due to the shooting. He was released from the hospital on Wednesday. Attorney Carlos Moore, representing the family, he joins us right now from Jackson, Mississippi. Carlos, okay, I, I'm totally confused here. How in the hell does a 11-year-old kid call a cop, cops show up, and the kid gets shot? Roland, I'm just as confused as you are. The family has no answers, and we are uh, fighting for justice. We have asked the mayor, the police chief, somebody to give us an answer why this child who was unarmed and following the officer's command to come out of the house with his hands up while he was shot by the same cop. I mean, is this one of those situations where the cops, you remember doing Tamia Rice, where the cops tried to say, oh, like he was this really big child. Uh, but I mean, again, so, so walk us through what happened. Um, was the cop outside? Was he inside the home? He was outside of the home. What happened, Roland, at uh, 4 a.m., um, his sister's father comes over. He's irate. Uh, his mother's afraid. At some point, she hands her son the cell phone and tells him to call the police and call her mother. He did. He called his grandmother and the police, and they arrived. They thought this was going to be uh, something that would assist them. Uh, the police try to kick the door in. The mother opens the door. They tell her to come out. Uh, she tells them that the man is still in there, but he's running the other way without a gun. And um, so he knew there was no gun in the house. Uh, he yells in the house and tells everybody else in the house to come out with their hands up. The boy obeys and comes out of, out of his bedroom, hits the living room, is immediately shot in the living room, in the chest. Any body cam video? There is body cam video, but the family has not seen it. Uh, we've asked for it uh, from the city and from the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. They are being dilatory and saying because of the investigation, they cannot release the video. But we know that if it was in their favor, they would immediately release it. Uh, we hear that it's very damning for the city, and that's why they're being dilatory. I mean, we're talking about an 11-year-old kid. 11 years old, 4 feet 10, very small frame, looks like a kid. Uh, no way he could have been mistaken for the 6-foot-2 man that was in the house. 
Uh, I mean, this is absolutely uh, strange. I mean, uh, the, this kid is, it's a miracle this kid is alive. Very much a miracle. Had a collapsed lung, lacerated liver, uh, fractured ribs. Uh, he is blessed to be alive. I believe God left him here for some reason. Uh, he still has a purpose here on earth, and he's going to fulfill it. Uh, and again, you say that the, 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 the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, they are leading this investigation? They are. Wow. Um, I mean, just no words here uh, to, to describe here. Now, here's the question. Was the father of uh, the, the gentleman who started all of this here, was he ever arrested? We understand that after the shooting, uh, it's a few hours later, he was arrested, but they held him briefly and released him. They said since the mother did not file charges, they couldn't hold him any longer. She couldn't file charges because she was in the hospital with her son. Yes, he was airlifted to Jackson to the hospital. So she, her main concern at that point was her son's uh, survival. Uh, so she uh, was by his bedside faithfully as any mother would be. And so the man is uh, still out somewhere in Indianola. Unbelievable. Uh, Carlos Moore, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. No problem, Robert. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we'll talk to the attorney for another family, uh, a man who was uh, killed, tased 80 times by Jackson, Mississippi cops. Unbelievable, folks. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. There's an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Start Network is here. Oh, no punch! I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Hi, I'm Gavin Houston. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. All right, folks, uh, my panel today, Michael Imhotep, host, African History Network show, uh, based out of Detroit, Killer Bethea, communications strategist out of D.C., Xavier Pope, host of Suit Up News, owner of the Pope Law Firm out of Chicago. Uh, Xavier, I, I, I'm just confused here. I mean, I mean, how, how in the hell... Does an 11-year-old kid trying to call a cop 
uh, get, ends, ends up uh, being shot. I mean, this is what black people, black people are always talking about, how scared he is when we try to call the cops, cops for help. Yeah, Roland, it's, it's unfortunate. And we talked about the size of the young man. But I'm, I'm interested uh, whether uh, Attorney Moore has received any uh, idea about the 911 call from the boy. Because then you have are learning what what the officers possibly knew coming into the situation, that there was a boy that just got on 911 asking for help. So why are you going barging in and then shooting at a kid when a kid is called 911 in the first place? Well, I mean, it, it, it goes to show you um, just how crazy it is. And, and I get it. I, I get it, Kelly. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. But my goodness, how do you fire upon an 11-year-old kid? I mean, the short of the answer is, you know, a good cop wouldn't. A good cop would assess this a situation the way that they're trained to. Um, and granted, they are quick decisions, but you are trained to make quick decisions effectively, efficiently, and correctly. And it appears that he didn't do any of those things. And in this particular instance, uh, apparently it was a black officer who shot this young boy. And I know people will try and use that as a tool to say that uh, it's not just white cops, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the fact of the matter is this is a law enforcement issue. There are such things as bad apples who are black, just as there are bad apples who are white. But it's not just, again, about an apple. This is a fruit tree that is rotten from the roots that needs to be uprooted and reseeded, replanted, and we need to just grow a new one because clearly something is wrong when you have officers who apparently have are, are veteran officers still doing something like this even after a, a litany of incidents like this, a history of incidents like this. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. Michael. Yeah, Roland, you know, um, I'm still trying to figure out how he got shot. I read reports about it. The officer had his gun drawn. The officer was outside. He told the people inside to come out. Uh, 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 Darian uh, walks around the corner uh, inside the, the home and still gets shot. So what was the threat? Um, the, he was four foot ten. The, uh, the the man inside was uh, over six feet tall. I'm still trying to figure out what was the threat that caused you to fire your gun. Also, how many other officers were on the scene? And apparently, this was the only officer who fired his gun, which then causes me to wonder: Okay, so why did this officer feel threatened enough to shoot? where possibly the other officers on the scene didn't feel threatened to shoot. So we, we still need uh, answers. Miss, uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation is investigating, but they're not giving many details right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm just, uh, it, it's just unbelievable. Uh, again, these things happen, uh, and they, they consistently happen over, over, and over again. Uh, and um, how many times have you heard uh, a little white kid been shot? Yeah, it doesn't get reported like this when it when it happens. It doesn't get reported like this. Does it happen? I mean, I mean oh yeah, uh, yeah, it happens. But yeah, I mean, but it, but how, how rare is it? I mean, it's it's amazing how many of these cases uh, we tend to see uh, when it's involving uh, an African American child. That to me is just what is so crazy here. Uh, yeah, Roland, KRS One had a song called "Black Cop," and just because the officer is black doesn't necessarily mean he's going to come under the color of the law. And I think that that uh, 
uh, in terms of the treatment of African Americans, the instantaneous um, response and the implicit bias against even a child. So even a child is seen as a little monster, a little, a little inwardly. Um, and so um, that's how I, how I assess the situation and an officer is going to come into his, to the scene knowing that a child potentially may have called 911 and then you shoot the child that's called 911. It's despicable and it should not be tolerated in a civilized society. Um, yeah, it, it's just, uh, I, I, again, I mean, there are no words what, what, how this thing just uh, consistently happens uh, over and over and over and over and over again. All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. Uh, going to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk about this other case out of Mississippi. We're also going to talk about uh, with Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee, this whole debt ceiling uh, battle. There's a deal here. What's the deal? What are they cutting? And isn't it amazing that we have a debt problem, but Republicans want to cut IRS agents who could actually go after the rich to bring in more money to lower the debt? I know, make it make sense. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, you can join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do. Uh, so please send your checking money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling that, rolling Martin on filter.com. And of course, be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fever, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Available at bookstores nationwide, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also get it at Target and download a copy on Audible. We'll be right back. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. I remember Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um... He's like, man, what you doing, man? You got to stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I you know, I'm young, thinking, yeah, I'm good. And he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show did you have at the time? This was one-on-one. Got During it. that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one-on-one, yep. going great. Yeah. You're making money. You're like, I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't need, I don't need to leave from, you know, thir- Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like, I'm going to stay here. Or oh, I didn't want to. Finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, run around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle or me and this one or that one, we'd go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning and 
I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. I was like, I got this money, I'm good. I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making. But what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. in black culture. We're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, yesterday we talked about the uh, three former cops in Jackson who were indicted for murder uh, in the death of Keith Muriel. They uh, murdered his brother, staged him 80 times. Now, finally, the body cam footage uh, was released that shows exactly what happened, folks. Uh, it is shocking. It is unbelievable. Uh, and as Carlos Morge said, you know, as we always know, when things are going well for the cops, they will drop that video in a heartbeat. But when it's not... It's amazing how it's always a delayed. So if you need to turn away right now, please do so. Uh, we'll give you some time to do so. Uh, and so we're going to play this video so you can actually see for yourself what took place uh, when Keith Muriel was murdered by these three cops. Go ahead and press play. We appreciate your land shit. All the time? I'm about to start fighting. <laughs> I got tired. i like, look, nigga, we ain't finna keep doing this. Just me trying to subdue your ass and you ain't going. You seen big, you take some hits. But originally, yeah, he was just, he, he kept walking over here. We kept telling him, like, man, turn your ass around. Right, I should have put him in an arm bar. I wasn't even thinking about all that. Realistically, all I knew is if he got up again, he was going to get dropped again. Because he walked over, he tried walking, he tried walking towards McCarty. He tried walking towards McCarty. The extended stay motel, Sarge. <laughs> you okay, Lynn? I'm fine. The fact that she said it's not in the gas like, literally, extended stay on Beasley. It's not that hard. I'm trying to figure out who called saying, oh, yeah, I done tased this man about four or five times. Which one of y'all knows it? Them elephants called and said we tased him. Hey, 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 stop it. All right, stop, stop. Look at the camera right side of it. It's upside down. Man, that thing fell like eight times. I don't even know. My man was in my vest somewhere. How tall is it, though? It's six, three. Yeah, see, there you go. Still, he too damn but after that, I used everything I had. After that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't think about this. <laughs> All right, so 
you literally hear these officers complaining on who called the cops. Which one of you nosy MFs called and said we were tasing him? Really? Play the next video. I'm on the I'm on the transport with you guys, I am. Yes. I mean, shit, you wait for AMR and hear this big motherfucker right here now. I just, I just tell AMR to be just a damn city holding. Mm -hmm. Or say, screw it and let Raymond check him out. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying, man. God damn. We need to take his ass down to City Holden. Let them sit his ass down there. Let him check his ass down. Get motherfucker big, man. I got time. No, he needs to actually, no. He needs a cold shower. That nigga need a bed. No, let's take him to Seagull Suites. What's wrong? No, this girl over here wilding out of my Oh, I'm for the Let's take him to Seagull Suites and, <laughs> let, and, and let him sit in the pool to cool off for a bit. I got ass no. no, I didn't say that because he, he, he got he got cuffs and he, we, I ain't, I ain't, I made a rescue. I ain't fishing someone damn near twice my size out of Man, the water. Man, cause who? Motherfucker, you gonna pull us both down. Okay. All right, so the first two videos you hear these officers, and again, body cams are rolling and they're just talking all kind of trash. Uh, this, though, is uh, the devastating video uh, that, frankly, led to their indictment. Five, four, three. Give me all the hand. Huh. Give me all the hand, because we just told you to leave. We asked you, hey, stay on the ground. Give me all the hand. I swear, guys, you stay Give me all the hand. Bruh, give me your hand. I'm not going to tell you again. Okay. Give me hand. Bruh. Hand, beh hand behind your back. Put your other hand behind your back. Five, four, three, two. Oh. Hand behind your back. Let's go. I'm not playing with you. Get your hand behind your back. Stop, okay. Because we did ask you several times to leave. Stop, okay, that's fine. Nope. The cubs go going here. Here they go. Bruh. I'm not finna keep doing this shit with you. Hey, boss, move again. Move again. Move again. Move again. Hey, show one in custody. Move, move again. Move again. Don't fucking look at me. Do not look at me. Put your hand back here. Put your hand back here. All right. Give me your hand. Give me your hand or you'll get it again. Give me your hand. Put your hand right. behind your back. Man, stop, man. Stop okay. behind your back. Man, stop, man. Hey, five, four, three. Man, I heard like Put your fucking hand behind your back. Now! Man, stop, Put your hands behind your back. Both of them. Man. Both of them. Man, both of them. You finna get it again. Both of them, you gonna get it again. Man, stop. Ah! Let's go. Hands behind your back. Man, stop. Bro, you finna get it again. You making it worse to yourself. Man, stop, man. Let's go. Hands behind your back. Stop, stop resisting, sir. Stop, man. Sir, stop resisting. Ooh. Give me another unit over here, dispatch. Hey, down. Down. Fuck, down. Right. Stop, man. Stop. Stop resisting. Put your hand behind your back. Hands behind your back, sir. Sir, hands behind your back. Sir. 
Jared, let go of my leg. Let go of my leg. Hands behind your back. Oh, you finna get it again? Yeah, stop, man. Okay. I put it like this. If Don't worry about it. You got re you resistant. Man, Let go of my leg, boss. Man, stop, man. Okay. Sir, put your hands behind your back. Man, stop, man. Hey, just, just hold him. We got back up coming. Got him. We got him down. Keep that tires on. He ain't going nowhere. Boss, put your hand behind him. with it. Sir, down. Down! Folks, uh, these are the officers who were indicted for murder. You see right here, uh, James Land, Kanya, Kenya McCarty, and Avery Willis. Uh, Daryl Washington is the uh, uh, attorney for the family uh, in this particular case. Uh, and and Daryl, here's what I'm confused by. How do you have three police officers, one suspect, and you have this constant, constant tasing. I, three, are you telling me that three police officers cannot subdue somebody and put handcuffs on them without tasing him 80 times? Roman, I, I, man, I'll be honest with you. I have not seen a case this egregious when it involved a taser. Uh, the way they treated Keith was just totally unacceptable. Uh, but let's just go back just a little bit, Roland. You remember when you first, when we first came on to discuss this case, and we were talking about the press release that the, the chief of police uh, put out? Uh, what the chief of police told the citizens of Jackson is that these three police officers were responding to a person who was in distress. Uh, we now see firsthand why Keith was in a medical distress. Uh, the manner in which these, these officers treated Keith was just totally horrible. I mean, they tased him over 80 times, Roland. And the thing that was just most disheartening, after they tased him, they not only handcuffed and placed his wrist behind his back, but they actually handcuffed his feet as well and put him in the back of that cruiser in a prone position. Keith was in the back of that car dying, and these while these officers were outside of this car making jokes. Well, no, first, uh, first of all, first of all, he was in the car. Unattended, Correct. not checked for 43 minutes. And when paramedics finally got there, they found him unresponsive. Yes, and, and Roland, one of the officers who not shown in the, uh, the video, there was actually a sergeant who arrived to the scene. 
Uh, and he came out. He did not even get out his vehicle. He was inside of his car the entire time eating a candy bar. They were making jokes about Keith. Uh, while he was inside this car, obviously, and clearly needing medical assistance. Uh, the way they treated this this guy was just wrong. When the paramedics got there, they knew right away that Keith was dead. Uh, and these officers were, were totally responsible for it. They did not do anything to, to offer Keith any assistance at all. And, and let's just go back, Roland. Keith was at that, uh, at that hotel visiting a close friend. So Keith was not trespassing. Keith had not committed the crime. He lost his life over individuals profiling him, uh, uh, labeling him as a trespasser. Uh, and, and Roland, there was a time, I tell you, some years ago, I, I used to make the argument that, you know what, if we had more black police officers, perhaps we wouldn't have this issue. And, and what I'm starting to learn, Roland, is, is that it's not a race situation within the police department. It's a culture. Yeah. It's the way they operate, yeah. and it's egos that we deal with. Um, and, and first of all, you're right. As you make it that, first, it's interesting. Um, as uh, that was playing, I was sitting here, actually pulling up some video uh, on my uh, iPad, uh, and uh, I came across, this was the mural outside of uh, Jack Yates High School in Houston, where George Floyd went to high school. We did our show from there, May 22nd, uh, 2021. Uh, and again, um, you know, this, this, this mural uh, there is Black Lives Matter. Uh, is there on the street in front of Jack Yates, his alma mater, my alma mater as well. And, and what's crazy to me uh, is that, as you said, two of these officers, African-American, uh, the police chief, you were, talk, you were talking about African-American and who suddenly retires last week knowing full well what was about to happen. Uh, McCarty and Willis, uh, they were charged with second-degree murder uh, and Land was charged with manslaughter. Uh, and, uh, and, and you hear them and, and, yeah, you hear the joking and, and, and again, who called? How, how, how dare they call? As if... People, people should not have called, uh, should, should not have called the cops on them, but that's the problem. The, you call the cops on the cops, and the cops are the one who committed the murder. You're absolutely right, but Roland, this is this is Exhibit One to to the the police bad police behavior that we had. These guys knew that they had their body cams on. And they knew that they were being recorded, and they didn't care because they figured that this was something that they were going to get away with. This is something that happens all the time. This is how they treat the citizens of Jackson, Mississippi. This is how policing happens all across this country. And they feel that they're going to get away with it. And, you know, I'm just glad that this district attorney presented this case to the grand jury and these three officers were indicted. Uh, but, but more importantly, Roland, I think that sergeant who was out there, I think he also, who happens to be an African-American as well, had an obligation to go to that vehicle to check on Keith to make sure that he was okay. And he simply didn't do that. They allowed this, this father of two uh, to die a slow and painful death. And, and, you know, just looking at that video is just hurtful. And you can imagine what the family has gone through knowing that this video is now out there. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that is just uh, outlandish that what uh, took place here. Uh, Darren Washington, we appreciate it. Frat, thanks a lot. Hey, Roland, thank you very much for covering this. All right, folks, uh, going to break. We'll talk about this on our panel on the flip side. Uh, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. 
But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be the strong black woman trope at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Tape with me, Greg Koch. We welcome a towering intellect, activist, master theorist, prolific author, and unstoppable firebrand for change. The one and only Dr. Errol Henderson joins us to talk about his new book, The Revolution Will Not Be Theorized, Cultural Revolution in the Black Power Era. And this is what's, uh, what's going on in so much of academia and in some movement circles is an is, is a anti-black nationalist. It's an hour of power that you don't want to miss. That's right here on The Black Table on the Black Star Network. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, the necessity of believing in things you can't see. It's called faith. It comes in all shapes and sizes, and it's powerful. And it's a big part of being able to live a balanced life. The valley I experienced being a cancer survivor was one where my footing was completely unstable. I had no idea what to do. And in that instance of not knowing what to do, I had to rely on faith. That's all next on A Balanced Life, only on Black Star Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Godfrey, the funniest dude on the planet. <laughs> and you're watching... Roland Martin Unfiltered. Ow! All right, folks, uh, welcome back um, to, to watch that video. Um, uh, Kelly, to listen to those pleas, uh, again, harkens back uh, to George Floyd, and you literally hear the utter indifference of these cops. It, that was a hard watch for me. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, throw around the word triggered and, you know, things like that, but... That's a very triggering video. That is a jarring, disturbing video. And I understand the importance of showing footage like this, but I really wish we will eventually get to a point where it's not necessary and we just take, you know, viable sources like yourself at your word and, and know that it was horrible. Um, unfortunately, we are not at that point yet. Um, nevertheless, these cops absolutely did the most deplor the, the most deplorable, disgusting thing um, a cop can do, and that is have 
what appears to be total disregard um, for a man's life that was under their care, under their custody. Um, correct me if I'm wrong for those who practice law on a regular basis, but you, when you are incapacitated in that way, they do not, the, the, the suspect or whomever does not have to put their hands behind his back on his own volition. Like, the, the cop can do that because they are in a better position to do so. And frankly, after being tased, I don't know how many times by the point that we saw in the video, I can only imagine that his faculties were not there to even abide and comply with the officer's commands. So this just seemed unnecessarily cruel and frankly stupid on behalf of that cop to think that somebody who is being tased still has the strength and the wherewithal to be in control of their own body. Um, it, I, I, there, there's nothing to understand here other than what they did was wrong, and they thankfully have been indicted, but they need to be convicted, and they need to be under the jail, because this is, this is unacceptable. Xavier? Rolling, when you first started rolling the tape, I thought that we were listening to a couple thugs talking. It, that didn't sound like officers of the law that were there to serve and protect. The flippant language, the disrespect of the community that even is around. Hey, who, who, who called on us and who said we tased? Uh, who said we, that we tased him? Uh, it was all thug language, thuggery. Uh, cops shouldn't be thugs. What we had to witness was straight thuggery. And the fact that this cop thought it was okay to not even give the opportunity to respond or comply. They, they always say, Roland, oh, just comply, just comply. You cannot comply when you can't physically respond other than say, please stop killing me. And the fact that she knew and she could appreciate the criminality of her actions to make him not look at her. So she wouldn't be reminded of the inhumanity that she was putting on him. Michael. Yeah, Roland. Uh, well, number one, this is an example of how some people should never be police officers, regardless of race. Some people uh, are not cut out for to be a police officer. Number two, police officers are public servants. So for an uh, officer or uh, it may be former officer, I don't know if she's been fired yet, uh, Kenya McCarty, for her to say, which one of you nosy MFs uh, said that we tased somebody? Well, citizens have a right to say that. Citizens have a right to call the police regarding that because you work for them. You are a public servant. You're not God, okay? You're not above being held accountable. And then also, when you, when you read the article from USA Today, it appears like she has some mental issues. And the reason why I say that is because they talk about the, the videotape and they talk about Willis and McCarty then discuss what would what they would do if they saw uh, uh, Keith uh, back on the property. She said, quote, I can't be disrespected like that I, that many times. I can't be disrespected like that that many times. This sounds like something personal with her. She then went on to say, he come back when we leave, that's fine, because then I can put hands on him. There's something wrong with her. There's something wrong with the others, but it really sounds like she has some type of problem. So they all belong in prison. Yeah, well, well hopefully get they... it's what Xavier said. Thugs. 
I mean, she was yeah, talking I, like a thug. Absolutely. And thugs belong in prison. And, and killer cops, their asses belong in prison, too. Uh, but, but, but this is the thing that we consistently... Are, are dealing with. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing, Kelly. Oh, I love these people talking about, oh, you know, it's a few bad apples. But it's like, damn, we just go from city to city to city to city to state to state to state, uh, and it literally is an epidemic. It is. And like I said in your last segment, uh, there are uh, a few bad apples quote-unquote. Like I said in the last segment, this isn't about, you know, individual fruits at this point. This is a disease that needs to be eradicated. And it, it, it starts at the root. This is a system of violence. This is a system of negligence. This is a system of incompetency, frankly. And it, it's almost the reverse. It's the, the good apples that are rare not the bad ones. So what does that tell you about the tree? You need a new tree, you know? And if you need to sacrifice some good apples for the sake of the orchard, then I, I purport that you need to do that. But stuff like this can't keep happening without some type of reform, without some type of change. Because as if we already don't trust police enough, It'll get to a point where we don't have any respect for them whatsoever across the board, and that's where anarchy will reside. And we can't get to that point either. But I guess, Xavier, what, what we still come back to, like the, like the previous story, they were calling the cops, and the boy gets shot. Here you got folk watching the cops do dirty, and they call the cops, and then the cops get mad. And then we see these cases where the internal affairs, we talked about it in Chicago, uh, where 110 cops were supposed to be fired for lying. No, they still on the force. Some got promoted. And so we have a system that literally protects its own. Yeah, Roland, you saw in the video, she tried to kind of cater her language a little bit to, because she knew that she was on camera. But she also knew on camera that she was killing someone. And so I think that's the fascinating aspect of this woman saying, hey, here's me justifying my actions as I kill someone. Um, and that's interesting also, these incidents, they shouldn't go from someone outside of a hotel, being profiled, by the way, a child calling the cops to anyone being tased or shot these are routine situations that, if these weren't black people, no one would be hurt, no one would be shot, tased. They would be respected. So to protect and serve, black people aren't protected, and they certainly aren't served. Michael. Um, I wanted to know uh, how many times was did other officers tase uh, Keith Muriel? Um, I know from the video, it appears that Officer Ken Kenya McCarty did most, if not all, the tasing of what we saw. But uh, according to the attorney, uh, Keith was uh, tased over 80 times. So the other officers who were on the scene, 
how much tasing that they participate in. And then the other the other question I had was, okay, so the attorney said that Keith was there visiting someone who stayed at the extended stay hotel, so he was not trespassing. So why were the police called in the first place? That's another question I have. Okay, so if he's visiting somebody there, so why are the police being called? A good point. Uh, and Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, again, they are, um, they, le they led this. These three have now been, these three cops show them again, show their faces. They need to be shown over and over and over again. Uh, they have been indicted. Again, two of them, uh, Officers McCarty and Willis, uh, the two black cops have been indicted on second degree murder charges. The white cop, Land, has been indicted on manslaughter charges. Um, Again, I mean, this, 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 there are no words. There are no words to describe uh, what happened here. This is what we see all too often um, uh, by cops uh, in this country, uh, and it is, uh, it is unfortunate. Uh, and, and, it, and again, it, it, it goes to show, because this took place on New Year's Eve, it goes to show that here we are three years later after the death of George Floyd. Yesterday was the anniversary of his murder. Uh, and this is why protesting has to continue. This is why the fight has to continue. This is why we have to um, repel against every single one of these people who want to make excuses for rogue cops in this country. And it happens too often. And all we've seen, frankly, in the last two or three years, Xavier, are people saying, oh, let's just give them more money, more, more, more training, like more, 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 but show me how it's working. As we look at three years after the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, who, who Jared Chauvin, who, who killed him, was actually, there was a judgment recently um, for him brutalizing my nephew. Uh, we live in a country right now where people protested with George Floyd. There were borders on windows. There were signs all over the windows. And people treated it like the Macarena and got back to what they were doing and people protesting being equivocated with an insurrection, as if that was a time for the nation to police black people more, not less. Kill us more, not less. Give us less rights, not more. And so three years later, we're asking, where was the reckoning at? Because if we're looking at this, how this show has started, I don't see a reckoning, because there are still cops that are on camera. Think it's okay to kill someone. That say, don't look at me because I want to kill you openly on camera. It's disgusting. Three years later, something has to change. And Roland, thank you for continuing to be a platform for this. And people think that you're grifting off of this, Roland. This ain't fun for us. This is something we have to do to be able to make sure that justice is done in this country. But damn sure it's not fun. Well, you're right, and I think too often um, there are people who, who oh, we see this too often, don't show it, and, and I get it, and I understand the point uh, that, that Kelly, uh, Kelly made earlier, earlier, but here's the problem that we have. These mainstream media outlets, very few of these stories rise to national prominence. Mm -hmm. and, and I can tell you, um, whether it's Daryl, whether it's Carlos, whether it's Ben, whether it's Lee, whether it's, I mean, we can go on and on and on. I mean, you know, they text me and email me and like say, bro, you don't understand. You're one of the few places we can go to on a nightly basis to talk about our cases 
that actually alerts the public and, get, and gets attention outside of social media. And that is why we've got to have black-owned media. Uh, because I just need to remind people, let me be perfectly clear, Emmett Till's case does not go national without black-owned media. Right. If it wasn't for the Tri-State Defender and Jet mm-hmm. and the Chicago Defender, that story don't go national. And so our people need to understand why we have to do these stories because they absolutely matter. Uh, hold tight one second, folks. Got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, President Biden nominates a brother to be the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We'll play for you what the president had to say in the Rose Garden yesterday. Uh, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, the wealth gap has literally not changed in over 50 years, according to the Federal Reserve. On the next Get Wealthy, I'm excited to chat with Jim Castleberry, CEO of Known Holdings. They have created a platform, an ecosystem to bring resources to Blacks and people of color so they can scale their business. Even though we've had several examples of um, African-Americans and other people of color being able to be successful, we still aren't seeing the mass level of us being lifted up. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from LA. And this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's The Culture, weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Lunell. So what's up? This is your boy, Earthquake. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen now says June 5th is the drop 
dead date when it comes to uh, increasing the debt ceiling or the America will not be able to pay its bills. Now, uh, White House and House Republicans, Senate, they've been involved in these negotiations. Republicans have been trying to demand all types of spending cuts specifically uh, for veterans and other social programs, food programs. Um, but, it's, but, but here's one of the ones that just it still is baffling to me. So we have a, de we have a, we have a debt problem uh, because we're, we want too much spending, not bringing enough revenue. Um, <laughs> Biden signed into law a bill that would actually add $80 billion over 10 years for the IRS to go after rich folks. Republicans are pissed off. They don't want that to happen. So part of the negotiations is to actually cut funding to the IRS, but you got a deficit. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Joining us now is Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee uh, from Houston, Texas, there in Third Ward, Texas, my high school, Jack Yates. Uh, Congresswoman, glad to have you. How you doing? I'm good. And not only am I in Third Ward, Texas, I'm in front of the historic Riverside Hospital that used to serve veterans uh, and was built way before World War II. Oh, I know. Uh, I was born there. Uh, it's a symbol of our community, but more importantly, uh, a restoration of health care. That's what we plan on doing here. But it is also a symbol of uh, the men and women who served in the United States military because it was founded by a military family. And I provided post-traumatic stress disorder services here to veterans. And this default will cut 30 million medical appointments for our veterans. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to what is going on in the discussions by the Republicans. So, they do not make the sense that we need to have. So I'm confused because I thought, oh, they just love the military. And what's crazy, I've been reading these stories in the New York Times and others. So they want to cut money to veterans, but they want, and they want to cut money to the IRS, but they want to send the money for non-discretionary uses to the, to, the, to the Department of Defense. I mean, we're already spending Billions. In fact, didn't Congress approve something like 30 or 40 billion more for the Pentagon than Biden even asked for? Absolutely. And the Pentagon budget has been, over the years that I've served, the largest budget ever. And those who are listening and viewing need to understand they're sending money that the Pentagon has not even asked for. General Austin has a, a budget, a framework. He understands what the men and women of the United States military need. But at the same time, they're cutting discretionary funding, which includes housing and SNAP dollars that some of our young military personnel actually use. There is no sense to where we're going. In addition, it is horrific that they would hold up any negotiations on something called the work requirements, which I voted against some 20 years ago, which they keep declaring that it's about able-bodied persons who are getting welfare. You know that's not true. What is assessed is that there are individuals who you may not see any external injuries, but have met the criteria of not being able to work. Do you want these people to be homeless? Do you want these people to go without food? Do you want to add to the thousands of homeless persons across America? The other thing is they want to claw back what we call uh, the pandemic dollars. Well, the pandemic dollars being clawed back will kill our cities. They are using it for the homeless which they're allowed to do. They're using it for safer cities. Right here in Houston, Texas, we've got one safe city. 
It is allowing us to do intervention to deal with uh, gun trafficking and excessive guns, but it's also allowing us to use police officers effectively in areas where there is crime. What is going on here is a insensitivity to the needs of the American people and a carelessness about the issue of default. Secretary Yellen is correct. Uh, we're between June 1st uh, and June 5th. I just got a call today to be on a 24-hour notice to return back to Washington because Democrats don't want to default, and we raised the debt ceiling. I call it we didn't default. We didn't default three times under Donald Trump. Uh, it just, I mean, what I don't understand is how hypocritical and arrogant can folk be when individuals who are there now, who not leave the House, 25% of the existing deficit was a result of spending from Donald Trump. And Kevin McCarthy wants to give lectures and sermons about fiscal conservatism? You're absolutely right. It was the Trump tax bill that really had put us in the largest deficit that we've ever experienced. And not one single person on the Republican side wants to recapture uh, the Trump tax cut, which was alleged and uh, wrongly represented that the corporations, and they're my friends, uh, I want corporations to be strong in Houston and invest back in the community, but the representation was that those dollars they saved from not paying taxes were going to be able to be utilized in our communities or reinvestment. They were used for stock buybacks. We never saw a dime. Well, here's the worst of it. You made the point because people are fearful. You hear IRS agents, everybody starts moving uh, in a direction of fear. But look, we've gotten more revenue under Democrats because we have effectively not gone after earned income tax recipients, which has been done previously. We've looked to the avoidance crowd, the top 1% avoidance crowd who pays no taxes, which includes the former president of the United States. How horrible it was to determine he paid no taxes. But here's the worst of it. If we get through this uh, time and we don't have a default, the Republicans plan to go back again and introduce another tax-cutting bill that will then really undermine the military, undermine Homeland Security, attack Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and literally take the legs of a safety net from under the American people. So, um, here's the deal. McCarthy needs folks like you. He needs Democrats to vote for this because he, he don't have the votes on his side. Uh, so, how aggressive um, are Democrats going to be uh, to make sure that uh, you don't have cuts to folks who really need the resources? Here's the issue. It is always the Democrats that the, uh, that the adults are the adults in the room. Uh, and it's painful. Uh, we know when mom and dad have to scrap together uh, whatever pennies they need to take care of the children, they make a lot of sacrifices. We're holding the line and we're fighting against uh, these dastardly work requirements, these draconian cuts, um, this nonsensical uh, lack of recognition that these uh, IRS agents are in fact utilized to bring revenue in to support this nation and to support military and to support veterans. Veterans have been calling and saying, we're gonna lose benefits 
and our medical appointments. But here's, here's the real crux of the issue. We can't default. Uh, Democrats are going to be the real cushion for defaulting. Now, I have a backup plan. I believe if we get to the point of ridiculousness, the president of the United States, I'm a member of the Constitution Subcommittee on Judiciary. I got to protect Houston. I got to protect cities and counties. This is where the people are. Not even in states. It's the cities that where the people are. Let's use the 14th Amendment, the constitutional provision that allows uh, the president to stand up our full uh, faith and credit. Uh, let's have that happen over the disarray that's in the Republican conference. I think the American people deserve that. We owe that to them. We don't owe them a default. We owe them the responsibility that adults will take care of their uh, respective uh, persons under their jurisdiction, their custody, their children. They do it all the time. They sacrifice, they tighten their belts, they sell the car. They might even move out of their house in order to take care of their children. Well, we as Democrats, and I've been there long enough, I've been through this process before. Default is ugly. And the budget that these Republicans put forward was an ugly budget. Even saying that as a member of the Budget Committee, we still can negotiate after avoiding a default. But I believe that if we cannot find reason or even rhyme, we need to use the 14th Amendment. And I've signed the letter and sent to the President of the United States uh, to use that authority. Uh, and uh, we don't know um, who would even have standing uh, to sue President Biden. The Congress wouldn't have standing. We're not going to be injured. And who of the American people would sue the President of the United States when we are saving the country? So if it gets to that, Roland, we are rolling, and we want the president to roll with the 14th Amendment authority that was used under the Civil War to ensure uh, that this nation continues to be the economic leader of the country, that the dollar continues to be secure, uh, that the world markets do not tumble, that our credit is not downsized. All of that impacts student loans, people purchasing homes and cars, people investing in businesses. I want to worry about the American people. I'm not trying to get a political hit. And so if we have to do something that is enormously challenging, let's do it. All right. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee, certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Say what's up to everybody in Third Ward. I will. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, I, I just sit here and laugh, Michael, when I, when I see hear these, again, Republicans, again, loving the military, loving the military, they ain't got no problem with slashing anything that helps veterans. Well, Roland, they love police until the coup took place January 6, 2021, and 140 police officers were assaulted by Donald Trump's domestic terrorists that he sent to the U.S. Capitol building to overthrow the government so he can stay uh, in office. So they backed the blue until the coup. They loved the FBI until the FBI was investigating Donald Trump. Uh, and the, the they don't want the IRS to do things like uh, maybe investigate Donald Trump's taxes. They don't want the IRS to audit their billionaire uh, uh, donors, uh, things of this nature. So Republicans are total hypocrites. But it's important for people to know, when you look at federal payments that are at risk of the, of the U.S. government defaulting June 1st, $10 billion military pay and retirement, $47 billion in payments to Medicare providers, June 2nd, $25 billion to Social Security benefits. June 5th, $1 billion in SNAP food and benefits. June 6th, $6 billion in Medicare reimbursements. 
to states, et cetera. Let senior citizens not get their check on time and see what happens, see the hell that they raise. So this is what happens when these domestic terrorists, these coup plotters, are in charge of the House of Representatives and are, are trying to damage the economy, wreck the economy, to hurt Biden when it comes to the 2024, mid, uh, 2024 presidential elections. This is how elections have consequences. Um, Xavier. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's interesting that we're coming down to the line here, and Democrats are in a position with the, with the president to use the 14th Amendment. What if Republicans want that to happen? What if they, what if they want that precedent to happen? We, we don't, we've seen an insurrection. We've seen unprecedented laws that have been passed by Republicans in various states. I, they look at this as a normal way to operate. Um, I know that the debt ceiling has happened plenty of times and has been many tough negotiations before, but the Republicans do not see governing in good faith, definitely, as before. And wanting a collapse, wanting Joe Biden to then put forth the 14th Amendment so that they can use it for whatever purposes, dashly purposes they think in the future, if they're ever in a position to have a Republican president in office. And so um, it's a dangerous precedent to set. Um, because then it will be used by the other side as well. So I'm really interested to see are Republicans really serious about this? Because we know they're, they're, child, they're children. They don't really care about the country. But how far will they go to be able to advance their, their, their current and future uh, political causes? Kelly? Um, well, to Xavier's point about the, the fear of Republicans possibly using... Um, tools that Democrats have at their disposal right now in the future. I I would push against that just a little bit in that I don't think we should care because they don't. We are in a fight-or-flight situation all the time. And with Democrats specifically, I am personally tired of the Democrats consistently playing defense when they have the tools to play offense ahead of time to you know, offset whatever the Republicans have going on. The Republicans have a history of strategy and playing the long game. Democrats have a history of playing crybaby when they do. And once we dismantle that pattern, I think we can actually see progress in this country. We should not be concerned with what, with what the, uh, the opposing side is doing or could do, really, when we are in a situation where we can't afford to to do anything other than what we have to do. Like, precedent is out the window at this point. We, are, we have never been in this position before. So why should we care about the fundamentalism and, and originalism and, and history and the like when this in itself is unprecedented? And Democrats need to get on the ball with that. They need to come to terms with the fact that respect is out the window, and they just need to play ball. All right, folks, hold tight one second. We come back. Uh, President Joe Biden uh, names his pick to lead the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's a brother. He's a double brother. Sorry, Michael. He's an alpha man. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. 
as an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Black Star Network is here. Oh, no punch! A real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? This is Judge Math. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wild. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Eee. All right, folks. Uh, General Colin Powell was the first African-American to be the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Of course, we're talking about the four branches of the military. Uh, yesterday, President Joe Biden made it official uh, who he is uh, naming to replace General Milley to be the next Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he is an African-American. He was named the Air Force Chief of Staff. Uh, and so President Joe Biden flanked to his right by the first black uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, General uh, Lloyd Austin. Uh, he is uh, Omega, but on the other side. Uh, my frat brother was from the Air Force. Uh, is going to be, if confirmed, is going to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He is President Biden making the announcement. Good afternoon. Please, everybody, be seated. Thank you. Before I begin, I want to address. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. A ongoing budget negotiations with congressional leaders. I'll be very brief. Speaker McCarthy and I have had several productive conversations and our staffs continue to meet as we speak, as a matter of fact, and they're making progress. I've made clear time and again defaulting on our national debt is not an option. The American people deserve to know that the Social Security payments will be there, the veterans' hospitals remain open, and that economic progress will be made, and we're going to continue to make it. Default puts all that at risk. Congressional leaders understand that, and they've all agreed there will be no default. And it's time for Congress to act now. 
Now, I want to be clear that the negotiations we're having with Speaker McCarthy is about the outlines of what the budget will look like, not about default. It's about competing visions for America. Under my administration, we've already cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion in our first two years. But Speaker McCarthy and I have a very different view of who should bear the burden of additional efforts to get our fiscal house in order. I don't believe the whole burden should fall on the backs of middle-class and working-class Americans. My House Republican friends disagree. Instead, Republicans passed a bill that would make huge cuts in important programs that millions of working and middle-class Americans count on. Huge cuts in the number of teachers, police officers, Border Patrol agents, and increased wait times for Social Security claims. And I won't agree to that. I put forward a proposal that will cut spending by more than $1 trillion that freezes spending for the next two years. That's on top of the nearly $3 trillion in deficit reduction I previously proposed through a combination of spending cuts and new revenue raisers. I propose making the wealthy begin to pay their fair share, which will reduce the deficit. But it won't cut programs for hardworking Americans depending on it, those, those funds, in order to uh, continue big tax re returns for the wealthiest Americans, America and America's largest corporations. But we can reduce the deficit both in short term and long term with a combination of spending cuts on programs that help big oil and big pharma by closing tax loopholes and making the wealthy pay their fair share. I've reduced the deficit, I said, $1.7 trillion in my first two years without raising a cent and raising taxes above anyone making less than $400,000. The economy is growing. The only way to move forward is with a bipartisan agreement, and I believe we'll come to an agreement that allows us to move forward and that protects the hardworking Americans of this country. Now, for the reason we're here. I'm sure you didn't come to hear that. <laughs> Vice President Harris, Secretary Austin, Representative Calvert, Representative Calhoun, or excuse me, Calhoun's not here, McCollum. Uh, and I want to thank you all for joining us. And Chairman Milley, I want to uh, I want to start by thanking you. I really mean it for your years of service as chairman and for your lifetime of selfless commitment to our country. And I also want to thank our your incredible wife, Holly Ann, and your two children, Peter and Mary. You know. Uh, your family has served alongside you every single step of the way, and our entire country is grateful. As chairman, you've led our military through the most complex security environment our world has faced in a long, long time. And we've strengthened our alliances from NATO to the Indo-Pacific and built new partnerships like AUKUS. We've, we've anticipated new threats in domains like space and cyber. We've addressed challenges that transcend borders and responding to global pandemics by tackling the existential threat of climate change. The, we've been at the longest war in American history. We've continued to take terrorists off the battlefield, and we've rallied the world to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their freedom against Russian aggression. Though so, uh, through everything, Secretary Austin uh, and I have had uh, candid and direct counsel. I valued his insight, and more than that, I truly enjoyed working with you. I trust you completely, completely. You've helped set our country and our military on a course that will put us in the strongest possible position to succeed in the years ahead. I'm looking forward to continuing our work together as you finish your term and prepare to pass the baton to your successor. So today, 
I have the honor of introducing my nominee to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Charles Q. Brown, Jr. General, welcome. General Brown's a warrior, descended from a proud line of warriors. His father, a U.S. Army Colonel, C.Q. Brown, served in Vietnam. His grandfather, U.S. Army Master Sergeant Robert E. Brown, Jr., led a segregated unit in World War II. And the command pilot, General Brown, brings to this role more than 3,000 hours of fighting flying experience, including 130 combat hours. He knows what it means to be in the thick of battle and how to keep your cool when things get hard, like when your F-16 was on fire. <laughs> and you returned to the base in Florida in 1991. CQ had uh, eject uh, more than 300 miles more than 300 miles an hour landing in the Everglades. That's a lot of fun, huh? Well, I tell you what, he was back in the cockpit the next week with a new call sign. Swamp Thang. <laughs> new call sign. I asked him inside the Oval what, what it was like, but I'll tell you about that later. General Brown is also a warfighter who's commanded in Europe, the Middle East, and, Indo and the Indo-Pacific. And he has an unmatched firsthand knowledge of our operations, our operational theaters, and a strategic vision to understand how they all work together to ensure the security for the American people. And while General Brown is a proud, butt-kicking American airman, first and always, he's also been an operational leader in the Joint Force. He gained respect across every service from those who have seen him in action and have come to depend on his judgment. More than that, he gained the respect of our allies and partners around the world who regard General Brown as a trusted partner and a top-notch strategist. No matter how complicated the mission, from helping build and lead the coalition now of more than 80 nations strong to counter ISIS threats in the Middle East, to positioning our Air Force for the future in, Indo in the Indo-Pacific, General Brown has built a reputation across the force as an unflappable and highly effective leader. As someone who creates an environment of teamwork, trust, and, and, and then executes with excellence, and someone who smokes a mean brisket. Understand you have that smoker still with you. You carry that around everywhere you go. What was it in your I won't ask yet. <laughs> but General Brown said he doesn't, he doesn't play for second place. He plays to win, and that's obvious. That mindset is going to be an enormous asset to me as Commander-in-Chief and to the United States of America as we navigate challenges in the coming years. Over the past three years, as Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Brown has become known uh, for his signature approach, accelerate, change, or lose. Accelerate, change, or lose. General, you're right on. As I've often said, our world is at an inflection point where the decisions we make today are going to determine the course of our world for decades to come. And to keep American people safe, prosperous, and secure, we have to move fast and adapt quickly. We have to maintain a combat-credible force capable of deterring and defeating any potential threat. And we have to manage our competition with China and meet the reality of renewed aggression in Europe. And we need to make sure we retain our competitive edge in an age where emerging technologies from, technologies from AI to 3D print, printing could fundamentally change the character of conflict. With General Brown as chairman, I know I'll be able to rely on his advice as a military strategist and as a leader 
of military innovation dedicated to keeping our armed forces the best in the world, and they are the best in the history of the world, and that's a fact. I'll also be able to realign him for a thoughtful, deliberate leader who is unafraid to speak his mind, as someone who will deliver an honest message that needs to be heard, and will always do the right thing when it's hard. That's the number one quality a president needs in a chairman. And that's the leader, that's the leader that all Americans meet, met three years ago, when General Brown gave an unflinching video testimonial sharing his own experience of racism and his deep love of our country, to which he has dedicated his entire adult life. It took real backbone and struck a chord not only with our military members, but with Americans all across the country. CQ is a fearless leader and an unyielding patriot. And that's why three years ago, he was concerned by the United States, confirmed by the United States Senate, 98 to 0. I urge the Senate to once again confirm General Brown with the same, the same overwhelming bipartisan support from him for his new role as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I also want to recognize CQ's family, his wife, Shireen. She is here. Would you mind standing, Shireen? I know that's embarrassing you. Thank you. And his son, Sean and Ross. Throughout General Brown's stellar career in the Air Force, CQ and Shireen have always put family first. And they both know, from their own experience growing up in military families, that it's not just the person who wears the uniform who serves. The whole family, the whole family serves, and the whole family sacrifices on behalf of the nation. Shireen, you and CQ are true partners and our dedication to the health and well-being of the women and men in uniform and their families. Five Thrive, Five and Thrive, initiative that's doing important work to address the greatest issues affecting military families, <coughs> child care, education, spousal employment, health care, and housing. And I know that Jill and I look forward to working even more closely with you on these issues through her Joining Forces initiative. Let me close with this. This year will mark the 75th anniversary of an integrated force and the 75th anniversary of women serving in the force and the 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer force. We're celebrating the root of our national strength, the most American of ideas, the most self-evident truth that all women and men are created equal, and that no, no more powerful testament to this than the armed forces of the United States of America. The steps we've taken over the decades to harness the full diversity of our nation have grown our armed forces into the greatest fighting force, I'll say it again a second time, the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. And General Brown, you've been an essential leader in making our nation and our force even stronger. You've made history, and you have even made it uh, as a Jeopardy clue. Did you know that? He made it as a Jeopardy clue, the Daily Double, no less. <laughs> well, so thank you, General Brown and Shireen and the whole family for being willing to take on this mission. And I can thank no one better suited, think of no one better suited or more qualified to lead our force through the challenges and responsibility ahead. And I look forward to having you at my side advising me as the next chairman and helping keep the American people safe. Thank you all, and thank all the military in the audience here. Thank you for your service, and thank your families as well. 
and may God protect our troops. Thank you. I'm sure there are a lot of people, um, Kelly, who might say, oh, there's no big deal that the top two um, military officials in the country, one civilian, one military, even though the civilian is retired military, are both African-American. Never has happened before in American history. And, and that in itself is the big deal. I think it's absolutely incredible that this is happening. Um, a lot of people out there think that uh, you know, due to ageism, quite frankly, that Biden isn't doing anything as president. Um, clearly, this is something, and this is something big, um, to have two black men in this uh, capacity of power advising the most powerful man in the world. That is saying something. Um, voices are being heard. Uh, perspectives are being brought to the table that have never been brought to the table before. Um, it, it is an incredible thing to witness, to live, to see. I'm here. And I hope we see more of it, frankly. Xavier? It, it was, it's just such an interesting scene that Joe Biden, President of the United States, surrounded by African-Americans. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian-Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Um, and what we know about the history of the military in this country. And to see our nation being, lead, being led by black men. Um, and we started this segment out with a, a black boy and a black man being killed. Um, and that's the promise of keeping people like that alive, our people alive, because they become leaders. And to see the juxtaposition of that um, and to believe in the greatness of, of people and to see this accomplishment is not a small thing. Um, as an African-American man, I can show that to my son my 14-year-old son, about what he could potentially be in this world um, and be a, do be a je double, double jeopardy killer. So I think this is a very important. It's not a small thing. Um, no more first should be continuing to happen, but we're glad that this one is happening. The, th the thing that we have to think about here when we look at talking about General Charles Brown, uh, obviously he still has to go through uh, a uh, Senate confirmation uh, hearing, Michael. Uh, but the fact of oh, the matter yeah. is, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, when you look at the history of this country, when you look at uh, how African-Americans have been treated in the military, uh, look, uh, this thing is uh, significant. Uh, that, he, that, that, he, that he is going to be, uh, you know, you know, leading the Joint Chiefs of Staff, meaning uh, that the four branches, they all will be reporting to him. Yeah, you know, Roland, this is important for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, my dad would be happy because my dad served in the Air Force. Uh, two, he can't be all bad. I mean, he's an alpha man, but you don't know, hate. We, 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 you know, we'll, we'll let that one slide. You, you can't. You, you, no, actually, you can't let it slide. <laughs> Bow down. But, no. <laughs> but um, 
this is really important. And also, one of the problems that he's going to have to deal with in the military is a uh, increasing number of military personnel who have adopted white supremacist ideology. This was something that General Milley talked about having to deal with. Um, and um, Charles Brown uh, uh, Jr. is going to have to deal with it as well. But at the same time, um, I think it's important for him and other African-Americans to encourage African-Americans to join the military. And the reason why I say this is because we need to learn how to use weapons. We need to learn how to use explosives. We need to learn how to deactivate explosives. We need to learn military strategy. We need to learn how to, uh, we need to learn survival skills. We need to learn how to uh, live off the land, purify rainwater, et cetera. These are all things you can learn in the military, as well as get money for college, as well as learn communications, things of this nature. And uh, lastly, when you, you know, we're coming up on Memorial Day, when you look at the uh, red summer of 1919, uh, which was the year after World War One ended, when white supremacists, uh, you had 25 major race riots in this country, and you had white supremacists attacking African-American communities. Well, it was many World War One, Black War One, World War One veterans who used their military skills yep. to protect our communities from the white supremacists, and they were using their military weapons well, first to protect of all, our communities from the white supremacists. Well, it happened, I mean, all throughout uh, Jim Crow. Uh, that was the case where uh, brothers who came back from the, from the uh, war uh, protected African-American mm -hmm. communities. All right, folks, hold tight one second. We're going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, Texas of the University, looking for a new president. Again, we'll tell you, uh, the president ret retired, retired, whatever that means, uh, barely there two years. Also, uh, this sister uh, gave Buster Rhymes a surprise happy birthday. We're going to play it for you. He was moved to tears by what she did. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. And I remember Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You got to stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I ain't got to. You know, I'm young, thinking, yeah, I'm good. And he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show was you at the time? This was one-on-one. -on -one. Got During it. that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one-on-one, -on -one, yep. going great. Yeah. You're making money. You're like... I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't, I don't need to leave from, you know, th Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like, I'm going to stay here. Or oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was just like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, run around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle or me and this one or that one, we'd go to the comedy cellar at 1 in the morning. And, I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. Well, I was like, I got this money, I'm good. I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making. But what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. about blackness and what happens in black culture, 
We're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- Zero one nine six. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. My name is Charlie Wilson. Hi, I'm Sally Richardson Whitfield. And I'm Dodger Whitfield. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. <laughs> Hello, TSU family. My name is Dr. Alicia Crumpton-Young, and I am proud and honored to serve as your 13th president of the Texas Southern University. To the Board of Regents, thank you for placing your confidence and trust in me. To our students, you are the reason that I am here. You're the reason that I will work hard each and every day, and I look forward to creating an educational experience that transforms your life and helps you achieve your hopes and dreams while giving you a Well, that was grand opening and grand closing. That was uh, the President of Texas Southern University a year ago with her welcome. She's now gone. Uh, today, the Board of Regents, the chair, announced uh, that uh, President uh, Crumpton Young is retiring. Okay, which is sort of weird because she's only been there two years and she's 53 years old. Now, this is the letter that uh, the chair of the board, uh, Alvin Ayers, actually uh, released, uh, stating that uh, he was approached in a collegial manner by Dr. Crumpton Young. Uh, she approached me as chairman of the Texas, Texas uh, Southern University Board of Regents with her retirement request. The board unanimously agreed with the request and the mutually beneficial timing that will ultimately lead to the best outcome for Texas Southern University. Okay, am I the only one who finds that to be a very weird statement? That's just me. Uh, now, of course, um, uh, she came into the position in 2021 after the Board of Regents fired uh, Austin Lane, tried to claim for cause, ended up having to pay a massive settlement to him and admit he wasn't fired for cause, uh, which is all, it was stupid. It was just dumb. So I don't know what the hell TSU is actually doing. Uh, again, she was, uh, she was hired to improve the graduation rates, uh, deal with declining enrollment during the pandemic, also repair the university's reputation. Uh, now, again, they tried to say Austin Lane, uh, there was some, this, a law school admission scandal, which he says, no, I actually fixed. But then here's what happened. She comes in. Then they fired the, the police chief, Mary Young. We had her on our, on our show as she explained what went down there. She's suing them. Then the law school dean, so she fires Gary Bledsoe, who was the head of the law school. Then she brings in another sister. That sister is now suing them. So it seems like Crumpton Young led to a whole bunch of lawsuits 
uh, there at TSU. Um, she said that she uh, wants to move on to work uh, in some areas uh, in terms of uh, on the national level to help HBCUs. Uh, but uh, my goodness, uh, it, it seems uh, over and over and over uh, there are these constant problems at Texas Southern University. And Alvin Ayers has got to also answer some questions. Now, let me be perfectly clear. When you talk about these uh, border regions, folks, you're talking about the folks who are appointed by the governor. And so what does it say, Alvin Ayers, uh, that th this man is the chair of the Texas of the, te of Texas of the University Board of Regents, and he's in his fourth year as board chair, now about to have his third president. Now, see, I keep telling y'all over and over and over again, I keep telling y'all, one of the fundamental problems at HBCUs are the Board of Regents. We've had too many other examples where the Regents are always causing problems, um, and, 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 and here we are uh, with a new president. How, how do you have continuity when you're going to be working on your third president in four years? I don't, know, I don't know about you, uh, Xavier. I, I ain't buying uh, retired when you only two years into your term. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little early. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you're still wet behind the ears. Haven't even dried yet. Uh, still a young woman. Uh, I, I think that if you're brought in in terms of a declining enrollment uh, with the institution, what kind of voter confidence does it say? Uh, to the, the student that might come to the school um, if you don't have any stability at leadership at the top. Um, and so um, this is not how it should be done. It's not how, how it should be run. And I think that um, all of this, we've not really talked about the, the quality of the education that the students are receiving at the institution. Uh, and particularly, you're going to have a law school. I mean, if you have some instability there, um, how, uh, how the ability that they are to keep um, their, their, their licensure as an as institution. So these things are vitally important as you look at the stability of the school. Well, th this right here is the Board of Regents. Uh, we have it up right here on my iPad. Uh, and so uh, this, this is the board right here. Uh, you see uh, the nine regents, plus you have the student regent as well, makes for 10th. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I, I met Albert Myers years ago when he was at Shell, chief of staff to the CEO. And I, I'm just trying to say, bro, <laughs> I mean, my, my goodness, Kelly, if you show me HBCUs that are thriving, I can guarantee you it's because they have stability in the president's office. Right. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't really able to uh, see the article sent to me because there's a paywall behind it. But nevertheless, um, you're absolutely right. When it comes to any institution, Period. It, 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 the, the power and, and the, the stability of that institution comes from the top. Um, and when you have uh, situations such as this, when you have consistent turnaround, um, it doesn't say so much about the consistently incoming president so much as it does about the institution and who's behind putting people in that position from the institution. So 
I, I'm curious to know exactly what the issue is when it comes to whether it's the Board of Regents, um, what's going on at TSU, president notwithstanding. Um, I find it also interesting that she retired and not resigned. Is that uh, something uh, from behind the scenes indicating that she might not, uh, like maybe a non-compete somewhere where she can't go to another institution for X amount of years? Who knows? Um, but right now, it just seems like a very fishy mystery at this point. Um, well, look, it's, 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 it's a whole bunch of drama uh, that's going on there, uh, Michael. And again, what's crazy is Texas Southern University should be one of the largest HBCUs in the country. It should be. I mean, you're right there in Houston. You're 50 miles from Prairie View. You got 800,000 African-Americans in that city, a thriving city. Uh, it, it should be a dominant uh, public institution. It should be. But it is not because of silly-ass board members, and I'm going to say that, because they were absolutely stupid for running Austin Lane away, and moments after his settlement was negotiated and they had to admit he was not fired for cause. He was swooped up as the chancellor at Southern uh, Illinois University uh, in the Carbondale. I'm talking about literally within a week. So it goes to show you, so if SIU said, man, this, this <laughs> good enough to be our chancellor, what the hell was TSU thinking? And now having to now search for your third president. And then here's the deal. They have to pay Austin Lane off. Let's see mm -hmm. if they're going to pay off her contract. That's money that could be going to academic programs and scholarships. But you're having to pay for settlements with presidents that, that you fired. Right, or, yeah. Or, or you know, retired. Right, yeah, Roland. This sounds like, sounds like some real incompetency here. Um, you, if I heard you correctly, four presidents in three years. No, no, no. Um, sure, they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be. There was Lane. They got. They fired. Then they hired mm -hmm. her. She's now retired. So they're about to. They're about to look for their third president in the four years that Alvin Ayers okay, been chair of the Board of Regents. Yeah, third president in four years. Yeah, you can't have a, a, a continuity of knowledge. It takes a certain amount of time to get up to speed uh, as president of an HBCU, president of any college, uh, president of a corporation, et cetera. It takes a certain amount of time to get up to speed. So when you have that much turnover, um, you, it, it's hard to have continuity when it comes to being able to run the, uh, administration. So, uh, hopefully we find out, uh, what happens and, uh, just very quickly, uh, for Kelly and anybody else dealing with paywalls, control A, control C, control V into a Microsoft Word document. Because do that before the paywall comes out. Don't tell anybody I told you that, though. It, it was too fast. That's what I did. That's how I printed it up. I learned well, that fast. a long time ago. I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this a long she time. She said it was too fast. So repeat it. <laughs> oh, control, control A highlights the whole document. The whole article. No, I understand the formula. What I was saying right. is the paywall came up too quickly for me to do all that. <laughs> so if it, when the paywall comes up, refresh the screen, 
Control A, oh, and then Control C, copy, Control V, put into a Microsoft Word document. Don't tell anybody I told you that. Though. That's a that's a trick uh, of the trade. Up, down, man, down, man, up, man. left, right, A, B, start. I, I remember that back in the day, Nintendo days. Man, we uh, all we all been doing that. But as Kelly said, if it come up too, fast, everybody doesn't know that, Roland. If, if, everybody if doesn't Kelly know said that. if it come up too fast, you can't do it. Um, all right, y'all. Uh, so well, you know, so we'll see what happens at TSU. We'll see what what happens next. Uh, there, all right, Again, which is literally right across the street from where I went to high school, Jack, Jack Case High School. I know a lot of people at Texas Southern University, a lot of their alumni, and Lord have mercy. I mean, I don't know who's going to take that job. Mm -hmm. I have no idea who the hell going to take that job. But let me be perfectly clear. Let me say it right now. Alvin Ayers, you are the chair of the Board of Regents at Texas Southern University. Get your shit together. <laughs> Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I said it. Y'all should not have run Austin Lane off. Now you got to hire a new president. No credit. Let me be perfectly clear. Let me let me pull. Let me just pull all of them up because I just want just want to focus just on him. But but I'm being real clear here um, because this has to be said. You you can go to my iPad. Alvin Ayers, Pamela Medina, James Benham, Caroline Baker Hurley, Richard Johnson III, Stephanie Nellens Page, Marilyn Rose, Mary Evans CS, Brandon Simmons, Keon McLean. Let me be real clear. No credible, distinguished, talented individual is going to take this job if they are going to be dealing with some bullshit. Anybody who thinks about applying for this job, they are going to say, oh, I don't know, because I got to look at the last president, then the president before her, and then the president before that, and before that, before that. Let me be real clear, y'all. I've covered TSU for years. And Crumpton Young was the 13th president. They got mad the 12th ran him out. And then you start going back to, first of all, we know Lane that ran him out, he was 12th. The, bro the brother before him. And then we start talking about slave. We start going back. The Board of Regents. Y'all need to get your stuff in order if you're going to think a real person is going to take this job. The TSU alumni and the students and the faculty and staff, they deserve credible leadership. It starts with you, Alvin Ayers, and your nine board members. Get it together. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. You probably say you better lie, bitch. Something.
on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be the strong black woman trope at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, the necessity of believing in things you can't see. It's called faith. It comes in all shapes and sizes, and it's powerful. And it's a big part of being able to live a balanced life. The valley I experienced being a cancer survivor was one where my footing was completely unstable. I had no idea what to do. And in that instance of not knowing what to do, I had to rely on faith. That's all next on A Balanced Life, only on Black Star Network. Hi, this is Essence Atkins. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackish. Hey, everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. <laughs> John Jackson has been missing from Indianapolis since April 8th. The 16-year-old is 5 feet 3 inches tall, weighs 120 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about John Jackson should contact the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, 317-327-3811, 317-327-3811. Law, the Kansas Republican Party, they are pissing off black and Hispanic people. Uh, they're reconsidering their, they're actually reconsidering their bylaw changes I think they got lots of criticism uh, from blacks and Hispanics because the party proposed changes that would weaken the influence of black and Hispanic members on the organization's executive board by stripping the power from elected officials and groups representing women, minority groups, and college students, dramatically changing the composition of the party's executive committee, which holds sway over significant, significant party decisions. The Kansas Democratic Party described the proposed rules uh, changes as an attempt to consolidate power around Kansas' conservative base by disenfranchising black and Hispanic individuals interested in leadership positions. Mike Brown, the chair of the Kansas Republican Party, has directed the Rules Committee to meet and reconsider the policy. Now, first of all, we're talking about Kansas here, uh, Michael. Ain't that many black and Hispanic folk in the state anyway. Uh, and so uh, you trying to sit here uh, and get rid of them yeah, uh, that says, says a whole lot about their commitment to diversity, huh? Yeah, the Republicans don't have a real commitment to diversity unless it is uh, maybe a handful of black Latinos, things like this, that vote for what they want. Um, they, you know, th this is something that um, uh, Democrats are really going to have to focus on for 2024 elections. Start now communicating with the African-American community. Start now messaging with them what you have accomplished, okay? But when we look at, there's, a, there's, a, there's not as much of, of a diversity in thought uh, when it comes to the, to the Republican Party as there is in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is like a big tent party. So you may have uh, progressives like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You may have centrists like Joe Manchin, things like that. Well, in the Republican Party, you don't have that divergence of thought. Hell no. Is right or hard right? <laughs> yes, it, yeah, exactly. It. It's, it's right or hard right, then you have coup plotters. So, so uh, this that, is what that, we're doing. That's hard yeah. right. That's the hard right. Yeah. 
Yep. But, it's but only two. Is, uh, yeah. This is a continued attack on, on non-white people, and this is why we have to take these people out of power, make Look, sure they don't get into power again. Kelly, it's real simple. The Republican Party today is about white conservative people. Period. White conservative racist people. I would add the racist in there because you could be white and you could be conservative, but you don't necessarily have to be racist. You could be fiscally conservative. But no, the oh, it's, it's, Party it's, but it's still the that, 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 whether they racist or not, they are trying to appeal to white conservatives. That's just absolutely you ain't if you that's it. They ain't trying. That's who that they want to appeal to. Sprinkle in a couple other people, but that's pretty much who they talk to. It is who they talk to because they created a formula. They see that it works, and they move forward with that formula. And this is goes back to one of the first uh, stories that we talked about today, in that Republicans have a strategy. They have a long game. Yep. It might be incredibly binary. It might be incredible, incredibly linear. And it might be incredibly exclusionary. But it's a plan. And it's a strategy. And it is working. Democrats need to do the same thing. Not that way. But they need to have something in place that we can follow. I understand that we have. Well, to well, 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 hold on, hold on. Dem well, hold on. If we compare these two, D Democrats do actually have far more leadership diversity than Republicans. And so, if we're comparing the, the, what's happening right here, they're trying to strip Black and Latinos in Kansas of being able to be in leadership. You don't see that happening on the Democratic side. But what you still need, though, on the Democratic side, of them fully following you through on policy commitments that affect those two communities. That, that was going to be my point, but you got it. Xavier. <laughs> That's what I say to those, those black and uh, Latinos that don't think that the okie doke won't come for you. Um, you are supporting a racist party um, and now openly appealing to racism and you thought that if you danced a little bit to the left and slide to the right and crisscross your way, ah, they, everybody ah, would clap their hands for you. Really? But it didn't happen. No, uh, it's, so, supposed, it's supposed to be the dosi do. Not the cha cha slide. It's supposed to be the dosi do. <laughs> they trust me. They ain't know nothing. No, the they ain't got no clue about the cha cha slide. Now you know that. Now you. I mean, y'all know why. <laughs> you, I don't know why you even sitting here thinking that ain't. <laughs> well, no, whatever it is, Roland, it's all beat. That, so, that, uh, whatever that, it is, it's offbeat. So, well, we know... They, they, let me deal with offbeat. You want to deal with offbeat <laughs> and dumb? Listen to this dumbass. Truly, the dumbest... No, 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 not my iPad. Listen to this fool. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, that fool, okay, that fool was talking to another fool, Donald Trump Jr. Listen to this silly shit. The COVID really brought it out about how bad our schools are yeah. and how bad our teachers are in the inner city. Most of them in the inner city, uh, I don't know how they got degrees, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know whether they can read and write. But they're the uh, experts that want to make sure that parents exactly. have no say. They, uh, yeah. how, what, how do you, and they how want to you raise, decide what to do with your children? They want to raise. They want less time to work, yeah. less time in school. It's just we've, we've ruined work ethic in this country. Um, did that boy just question the intellect of inner city teachers? Yes, he I, did. I, I just want to make sure I heard.
heard that correctly. Running back. The COVID really brought it out about how bad our schools are yeah. and how bad our teachers are in the inner city. Most of them in the inner city, uh, I don't know how they got degrees, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know whether they can read and write. But they're the uh, experts that want to make sure that parents exactly. have no say. They, uh, how, what, how do you, and they how want to you raise, decide what to do with your children? They want to raise. They want less time to work, yeah. less time in school. It's just we've, we've ruined work ethic in this country. Okay. That's Tommy Tuberville, U.S. Senator from Alabama. When he was running against Senator Doug Jones, um, he was asked about the Civil Rights Act. Well, Civil Rights Act is the Voting Rights Act. Voting Rights Act. And I just want y'all to hear what this dumbass actually said. Press play. Is uh, uh, it's you know, you you you, you there, there's a lot of different things you can look at it as. You know, who's it going to help? Uh, right. You know, what direction I'm do we need to go it with again? it? Uh, I want a two box. I think it's important that that with everything we do, we keep secure. We keep an eye on it. It's run by our government, and it's run to the to the point that we, it, it, it's got structure to it. It's like education. I mean, it's got to have structure. Uh, now, for some reason, we look at things to change, to think we're going to make it better, but we'd better do a lot of work on it before we make that change. Um, Dumbass. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run that back one more time, y'all, because I, <laughs> I, I know y'all thought that was edited. Uh, no, no, that was literally how he answered the question. Y'all notice how he threw education in there? Seems somebody's lacking. Um, so, so let me play this again, because I just want y'all, y'all, this was before the election. That means the white conservative idiots in Alabama literally voted for this dumbass Tommy Tuberville. The thing about the Voting Rights Act is, uh, uh, it's you know, you, 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 there, there's a lot of different things you can look at it as. You know, who's it going to help? Uh, you know, what direction do we need to go with it? Uh, I think it's important that that with everything we do, we keep secure, we keep an eye on it. It's run by our government. And it's run to the, to the point that we, it, it, it's got structure to it. It's like education. I mean, it's got to have structure. Uh, now, for some reason, we look at things to change, to think we're going to make it better, but we'd better do a lot of work on it before we make that change. Um, I got 30 seconds each. Michael, what the hell did he just say? This he is, doesn't know what he said. This is the fool who was trying to insult inner city teachers. He doesn't know because he didn't know what the Voting Rights Act of 1965 did. And is there any wonder that he voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? 
He even voted against Joe Manchin's Freedom to Vote Act. But this is the same guy who's holding up 150 uh, military uh, promotions, okay, because he disagrees with uh, the, the military's uh, policy for paying for travel expenses for people who are traveling to get abortions. This dumbass needs to be voted out of office. He is dangerous. Um, I, it, Kelly. Well, first of all, it looks like he got slapped in the face um, in perpetuity. He's very red. Um, and maybe, you know, that shook a couple brain cells loose, hence the short-circuiting of his brain when he made that statement. I am not entirely sure. Um, but what I do know is that statement is a reflection, frankly, of how his voter base thinks. Yep. Um, they don't. Um, I, Xavier, I, again, this whole idea of you think you can insult inner city teachers, you're the idiot, Tommy Tuberville. You, you're the idiot. But, well, racists like their races dumb. They are dumb. There's no intellectual curiosity whatsoever in racism and pushing forward racism. And so anything that comes in front of that, which is intellectualism, which is which is curiosity, which is facts, that they hate it. And so you see him criticize also people who got degrees that are from inner city. I'm, I grew up in inner city. I got three degrees. I think I'm run circles around an idiot like Tommy Tupperville. Um, but um, that's the society we live in. Uh, me white mediocrity think it's better than black excellence. Dude, please. Um, my nephew Christopher is 13 and can run <laughs> rings around Tommy Tuberville. All right, we're going to end the show, y'all, on a great note. So I was coming in, uh, and I saw this posted, uh, and I thought it was awesome. So a sister um, rolled up on Buster Rhymes after an event. Uh, recently was his birthday, and so she wanted to sing happy birthday to Buster Rhymes. Uh, blew him away, reduced him to tears. Watch. Yes, yes, hey, you gonna yeah. be surprised. Okay. She sings in real life. In real life. In real time. First of all, um, if you, he reduced her to tears, go to my iPad. This is her name. Her name is Nia Drummond. 
Her name is Nia Drummond. Uh, she, uh, I mean, and so if you go to her Instagram, uh, she posted uh, on her Instagram, uh, uh, Shade Room, Jazz and Brand, others have picked it up as well. Uh, and, and again, Buster didn't know uh, what to do uh, by all of that. He was just uh, absolutely uh, blown away. I, th th that was pretty cool. As, uh, like I say, Xavier, he wasn't expecting that. Wasn't expecting it. She hit him in his soul. He had to have it start all over again. Let me let me experience this up close and personal. Um, she did come to Buster what it is like right now, and she showed him what it was. Uh, I, I, look, I, look again. If somebody walk up on you and they want to sing Happy Birthday, you probably thinking they're gonna sing it a different way, Kelly. Then it's all <laughs> like, nah. They like, oh my goodness, she about to hit him with the opera voice. Well, it's interesting. My mom was an opera singer, and I come from a family of musicians, and some of my closest friends are uh, in classical music. I'm classically trained. So for me, this was, this hit my heart in different ways. So I, I it was gorgeous to just to hear. Um, and, and the two worlds of opera and hip-hop and rap meeting each other in that way. It was, it's just beautiful to me. And you saw how I was gushing over here. I love it. I'm gonna play it again. Uh, um, indeed, uh, Michael. Yeah, you know, it was powerful rolling and I think it really hit uh, all of us in our souls. It hit us in our, in our DNA and it is the tonality of the voice that resonates with us. It, 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 it's a vibration, it's a frequency. So, you know, it brought uh, Buster to tears. He was totally, it was totally unexpected. He, he you know, it totally blew him away. So uh, if she is not uh, a professional opera singer, she should be. Hopefully she'll have like 1.4 million followers on Instagram very soon. Yep, uh, that was awesome. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, Michael, uh, Kelly, uh, Xavier, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Folks, want you to have an absolute wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Have fun. Be safe. Uh, we shall see you guys on Tuesday right here on Roland Martin on the Black Star Network. Hope!
Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.